I saw lots of across-the-aisle handshakes this morning. That was good. We are turning to Ephesians 2 again this morning. And a reminder where we're at in this letter to the Ephesians. Remember, chapter 2 is all about the life of the church. How God has created this new group of people. And last week, our, our focus was that we are a people that have been created in God's mercy, in God's grace. The work that we could not do with our own hands to, to create and, and make ourselves a people, God has done for us. And that theme continues on into today's passage, verses 14 through 18, where we see that the peace that we could not create... The relational peace we could not forge with our own hands. God has also graciously gone to work on our behalf to create. So we're going to be exploring those verses together here in just a moment. At the start of this calendar year, at the beginning of 2018, there was an interview with the CEO and founder of Facebook, Mark Zuckerberg, that was online. It was in a, a podcast And he sat down to talk about the the role of Facebook and and other forms of social media in shaping contemporary society. And in the few pieces of that interview that I caught, I found it interesting that he described two different forces at work in today's culture. The first force that he noted was kind of what Facebook exists to create. And he said that In his estimation, our world is a more connected place than ever. You can imagine all the technologies that are at our hands, right? We can chat, we can call people, we can illustrate our lives on various social media platforms in ways that, that no culture has done previously. This is what Zuckerberg says when he thinks about what Facebook is about. He says, we've been focused on making the world more open and more connected. And he said that that we thought at the outset that that would be enough to solve most of our problems, both from a corporate level and also at a, a societal level, this emphasis on connecting people in new ways. But I found it very interesting that in this same interview, Zuckerberg then goes on to say, with a kind of perplexed feeling that despite all the increase in technological connection, we simultaneously seem to be accelerating our sense of division in our society. He goes on to say that that despite all of this connection, the world today is more divided than I would have expected for the level of openness and connection we now have. So somehow, he says, we are both a world connected at a in in a way that we've never been, and yet we remain divided as a people. Zuckerberg's not the only observer who's noticed this upswing in division. According to a recent BBC survey, 84% of people living in America today feel that they live in a nation that is divided, right? We feel this, this sense of division and, and isolation from our neighbor and from our fellow citizens. And so somehow whatever technological connections we have forged 
have not yielded relational connections of a similar sort. Instead, they seem to, to be doing maybe an opposite thing. Right? There's a, an increasing sense of social isolation and even hostility at times. And so as a people, we need to ask, well, what do we do with that? How do we address that? How do we move forward into those things? Now, more than ever, we are in need of, of a, a third cultural force, right? Something to, to bridge that divide, something to gather together those factions, right? A source of reconciliation. I find it powerful that in Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus, already in our journeys through chapter 1 and chapter 2, in two different places, Paul has already driven home this, this claim that in the church, God has, has unleashed this very power, a power capable of disarming the tribalism of first century Greco-Roman society and also poised to disarm our tribalism today in a postmodern world. Look at what Paul said back in chapter 1, verse 10. There he said that God's plan, the mystery of God's work in Christ Jesus is this, that in Christ he is uniting all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Right? He's gathering together all the, the disparate places of our world and uniting them in one thing, one person, Jesus Christ. Then he went on to say, this was the last verse we picked up at the end of last week, chapter 2, verse 13. Paul was speaking about the division between Jew and Gentile in the first century, but he says to his Gentile brothers and sisters, now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near. And that 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 peacemaking force, that source of reconciliation was through the blood of Jesus Christ. Paul claims that in these little churches in Asia Minor in the first century, a kind of social experiment was underway. That in a very real way, a gospel of, of peace and, and reconciliation was flourishing. And Paul takes a few verses here in 14 through 18 to help us understand what's at the heart. What has the power to bring together that which is far away and that which is near? So I want us to, to study carefully what Paul and what God in his spirit has inspired and given to us in his word. If you would turn with me to chapter 2 verse 14, let me pray for us as we pick up that text today. Jesus, we thank you that you are our peace. And you're not just the kind of peace that sustains and maintains things the way they are. Not just a peace seeking our comfort. But Lord, you seek what the Hebrew world would call shalom. You seek deep life. You seek the reconciliation of, of those things which are marred and broken by sin. Lord, your longing is to bring us together in and through Jesus Christ. May we be joined to your great peace today. 
Lord, as we look into your word, may the words of my mouth as I teach, may the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as we pick up verse 14 here again, this is Paul speaking to his Gentile brothers and sisters who were once far away, who were once divided. This is what he says in verse 14. For Jesus Christ, he himself is our peace. The one who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. By setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. Paul says that that when Jesus finds us, when Jesus comes to make us a people, he recognizes that we are a people divided. That there is real division in this family he desires to create. When we stop to to think about the people sitting in the pews here this morning, when we think about the, the culture in which we work and live, where do you notice divisions? Where are those dividing walls? We could probably name lots of places. Right? There are so many things that divide us and that give rise to this 84% of our nation feeling that, that we live in, in a kind of hostility with one another. Right? Certainly, probably the first place our mind goes is to our politics. Right? Our, our political aspirations and and ideologies divide us, right? What we think about taxation or immigration or a whole host of other social issues can divide us from each other. Our racial identity can divide us. Now, I know Vermont is an overwhelmingly Caucasian state, so that's that's not a, a, a source of division we may think about much. But even so, that makes it even harder for us to to truly understand and to be in relationship with and to appreciate what a person of color might experience living here. Our age, our our generational gaps can divide us. Our level of affluence or education can divide us. And we can can quickly, quickly sort of multiply all these different things about who we are and the way we see the world that, that can become barriers to relationship. So here in verse 14, when Paul says that Christ comes as as a mission agent of, of making peace, he has an awful lot to overcome. Peace isn't something we can just wish into existence. Right? Wouldn't it be nice if we could just sit down with John Lennon and sing Imagine a few times and everything would just work out fine, right? We'd all start loving our neighbors. But as U2's Bono once quipped to John Lennon, not in person, but in dialogue with him, he said, I don't think imagining is enough. Right? There are these real divisions. We have to take them seriously. And so I think... The first step toward toward finding or or making peace is confessing those things which obstruct us from peace. Naming our divisions, not papering over them, but, but being honest with them. We need to deal with our dividing walls. 
And that requires humility, it requires patience, it requires confession. Paul uses this language of a dividing wall in verse 14. And when I imagine a dividing wall, you know, my, my mind as a 20th and 21st century person goes to a large physical structure like the Berlin Wall, right, or, or some kind of border wall that, that separates, right, two, two groups of people. It's a physical boundary designed to, to sort of diminish or to separate the hostility between those two groups of people. It's a, it's a physical wall that I envision. But in Paul's case, he's likely not envisioning a wall made of concrete or or any other substance, but as verse 15 suggests, he's envisioning a metaphorical wall made of the commands and the regulations of the Jewish law. Laws about anything from circumcision to to, to food laws, what was uh, right to eat, how one was to connect with their neighbor... Right, this, this whole thing that, that they were given at Mount Sinai as the Mosaic Law. Paul, remember, was a, a rabbi. He was a teacher in the synagogue. And frequently in, in the first century, Jews spoke about the, the Torah or the Law of Moses being like a hedge, being like a fence that, that protected them and that separated them from their Gentile neighbors. One rabbi writing shortly after the the life of Paul says that the wall of Torah was like a wall of iron that separated Jewish men and women from mingling with other nations. It caused this sense of division. Now if we go back and we look in the book of Exodus where we were this summer, right, the, the law was given as a gift from God. It was designed to, to keep Israel holy. It was designed to call them to the kind of righteousness that God himself possesses and, and desired to communicate to his people. The law was in some way designed to, to, to foster in Israel the kind of holiness that would make them God's light to the nations. But instead of bringing righteousness, we find that in some way the law had become an obstruction. We we couldn't keep it. We couldn't do what the law called us to do in our own strength. And now it stood in the way of joining together that which God desired to, to bring into existence, right? Jew and Gentile, all Remember all of creation that Paul talks about at the beginning of Ephesians. God desires to unite, but there is this wall, this division in place. And so for God to create a family of peace, he has to overcome that wall. He has to break down that barrier. And so it says in verse 14, God chooses to send Jesus Christ to bring that barrier down. To overcome what we could not overcome to be our peace. So Paul continues into verse 15 and he says that that peace that we could not create ourselves, Christ instead has come to embody, to work it out in his own flesh. Look at verses 15 and 16. Paul says Christ has destroyed that dividing wall by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. 
For his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. Paul says we have these deep divisions at work within us. These dividing walls, these these things that separate us both from God himself, our, our inability to be righteous in and of our own selves. We are divided on that level. And then that causes further separation and division among us, right? We split off into all these groups. Jew and Gentile, the rich and the poor, Right, the, the Yankees fan and the Red Sox fan, and never the two shall meet. I'm just making sure you're awake this morning. And we wonder, well, how in the world do we overcome that? Right? How are those things ever to be drawn back together? It's almost like we need a whole new humanity. It's almost like we need to start over and, and find a way to create a humanity without walls, without all the division. So here in verse... 15, scriptures say that God has chosen in Christ Jesus to do that very thing. God has chosen to take our divided natures and to draw us into himself, into Jesus' own body. And it says that the body of Jesus Christ becomes the site, it becomes the, the location for peacemaking to occur. That it's in the flesh of Jesus, it says. The wall of hostility comes down. The peace that we long for is not an idea. It's not a political movement. It is a person, an embodied person. Peace is the person of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus, Paul says, has gathered the scattered fragments of humanity, everything that was isolated and set at a hostility with one another, and he's brought them into himself, and it says that in Christ he has forged one new humanity. And he took these two groups, Jew and Gentile, and brought them into one body. To have peace is to be joined to the body of Christ, the one body. Christ. Well, we might ask, well, well, why does the body of Jesus matter? Why does Paul go on and on about this this sort of corporeal, fleshly work that, that, that Christ has done? Well, I think because that, that law, that, that requirement for holiness that Paul described just a few verses back, God took seriously, right? We, we couldn't be perfect. We couldn't keep the law in and of ourselves. But in Jesus Christ, in his person, in his humanity, we encounter someone who kept every command perfectly, who faithfully embodied everything Israel was meant to be. He was what we could not become on our own. In Jesus, the full power and mercy and grace of God dwell right in in a human form. But in order to make peace, Paul says, God takes all our division, all our hostility into Christ's body 
And where does that body go? It goes to the cross. In order to put to death, Paul says, those things in us. To crucify them. The body of Jesus Christ enters into death in order to disarm the power of death, the power of division in me. Thus making peace, Paul says. I cannot be reconciled but by the death of Christ, his death working itself out into me. Only then can that hostility be overcome. This summer, I came across the story of a Florida man named Ken Parker. And he had, for many years, been part of several different white supremacist groups. He was a Klansman. He was a neo-Nazi. And he was at the rally that was in the, the news last year in Charlottesville, Virginia. But at the end of that day, due to the heat of, of the day, he was experiencing some heat exhaustion. And he was laying on the floor of a parking garage when a reporter there to cover the event, a person of color, stopped and began to help him and was asking if he was okay. And, you know, within an hour or so, he was feeling better. But as he drove home from the rally, he said that simple act of kindness sort of interfered with all of the assumptions he had, the hostilities that he had created in his mind against persons of of other races. And, And in this news article, it describes how a few months later, he was back at his home in Florida, and he was walking through his apartment complex, and he saw a barbecue by the the pool of the apartment building there. And it was comprised of his African-American neighbors. And as the the barbecue kind of wound down, he felt within him this struggle, this this assumption within him that was, was, was being questioned, that he was growing more and more uncomfortable with. And, and so he decided to approach one of his neighbors at the end of that evening and just ask this man if he could sit down and talk with them about the things he had done, the things he had been involved with. And it turned out that that man was the pastor of a local church. Let me cue this video clip. But just seven months after that rally, he bumped into a man who made an offer that would change his life. He invited me and my fiance to go to church, and I was like, well, it's worth a shot. That man was a black pastor. When I, say yes. I just asked Ken to share his testimony. I need y'all to hear this. So you've got a 70-person congregation now. They're all black, and just three white people, including you. Yes, ma'am. They welcomed him in love. I thought, you know, they would judge me, but no, everybody was, like, really friendly. When we make it to heaven... Heaven just not going to be one race. What would you say to the people who you may have offended or hurt? I want to say I'm sorry. I know I've spread hate and discontent. Probably made little kids uh, scared to sleep in their own beds. Hello, I'll whip you always. Now, Ken is still navigating uncharted waters. Into a wave. Better than I did the last time I had a robe on. (laughs) Of love. Morgan Radford, NBC News, Jacksonville, Florida. I think that's a powerful image of Christ, right? Being the the one that draws us to himself in order to disarm our hostility. Bring us into the peace of his body. 
It's in, in the waters, right, of his baptism that our hostilities get joined to the death of Christ. And in the waters of baptism, we come up out of those waters joined, as Paul says, to a new humanity, joined to the reconciling body of Jesus Christ. And each of us need that work of of Jesus on the cross to to disarm what is not reconciled, right? In order that we might join a family where those barriers have been removed. Verses 17 and 18, Paul then describes the result of what Christ has done in his reconciling work. What was a family divided has become a family at peace with one another. Verses 17 and 18. Christ came and he preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by the one Spirit. What I think is incredible about the church that that Paul describes throughout Ephesians chapter 2 is that all of us, he says, come, come to enter it in the same way. Right? By the same means. Right? Whether we're neo-Nazis or whether we're members of the PTA or, or whatever our background was or is. Right? Look at verse 17. Paul says that our new life in the church is a result of the peacemaking mission. The peace-preaching mission of Jesus to find those far away and those who were near. Right? We have membership in this body because of what Christ has done to us, for us. He has found us. I love this quote in Dietrich Bonhoeffer's Life Together. Bonhoeffer was writing in the the shadow of Nazi Germany, a time of of great division on all sorts of levels. And he formed this, this community in rural Germany, and he wrote this book, Life Together. But he says there, that my brother or sister is that person who has been redeemed by Christ. They've been absolved from sin and called from faith into eternal life. Our community consists solely in what Christ has done to both of us. That is the center, Bonhoeffer says, of Christian community. I think that's what Paul describes as the center of our community as well. The work of Jesus Christ in redemption. The work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And I think that's good news because it it makes us all equals here. But it also presents to us a continual challenge to, to keep our identity centered on that thing as a church. We are not the church because... We agree with each other on everything. We're not the church because we share the same racial or social or economic or educational backgrounds. Right? We're not the church for any other reason except because of what Jesus Christ has chosen to do in us. That's why we are a people. We are the work of His hands, not ours. We see that throughout the gospel. In this month's issue of Christianity Today, there's a a writer named Judy Wu Dominic. 
And she writes about her own struggle to keep that central to her life within the church. But one of the encouragements she's taken is looking at the group of Jesus' 12 disciples. And she says if we, if we look at that group of people, Jesus called members, she says, of enemy groups to form his most intimate group of followers. Right? The 12 disciples have fishermen, they have a tax collector, they have political zealots, right? people that were, were attempting to undermine one another in society, sometimes breaking out in violence toward one another in the first century. Jesus gathers them together and calls them to himself. And for three years they follow Jesus, they sit around his table, they learn what his work is about. And in her article... Dominic goes on to confess that there are a number of groups and people within her own church that she struggles to want to love. But she says that in her own times of prayer, she's begun to imagine herself seated around the table of Jesus Christ. Right? And, and with the meal spread before them, the meal of his body and blood, the, the bread and the wine. And she says that she in those times of prayer, imagines right, those both that she has the greatest affection for, the people that, that she feels a deep bond of peace with in the body, as well as the people she feels most alienated from, most repulsed by. She says, while she might be tempted to reduce or write off or wage war on some at the table, it's not her agenda that matters, but the mission of Christ bring reconciliation, to transform each one of us, to give each one of us, as Paul says here, access to the Father through the same one Spirit, right? so that we might enter into his presence with those barriers gone, with those walls of hostility, hostility increasingly removed. Right? We've been called to share in that table with Jesus Christ as our Lord, the one at the head of the table. So as we consider what the church is, how we become this people of peace, just in summary, we must confess right, where we are divided. Not ignore, not avoid those divisions, but name them. So that secondly, we might join them to, we might invite Christ to take those things into himself with us and put them to death. We cannot overcome those things, but the body of Jesus Christ can. And then finally, we should embrace and enjoy this, this vision and mission that Christ has, right? To, to seat us all around his table. And to, to do this work of reconciliation, both in the body, but then to continue to bring that body and that reconciliation to our world. Would you pray with me that we might be the people of Christ's peace today? Lord, thank you that you found me when I was yet far away. Lord, when I was mired in death and hostility and insecurity and self-righteousness, Lord, you found me. Thank you that you have found those who are gathered here today. If there's anyone that has not yet been found, Lord, would your spirit find them and draw them in to your life? 
Lord, help us not to, to cling to those things which do not bring life. Let us give them to you. They might be put to death. Lord, I, I pray that the body of Jesus Christ, that the local church in this place, would reflect your peace. Would reflect the very image of Jesus Christ. It's in your name we pray. Amen.